when you work in a social enterprise environment and you're doing the work that certainly we do at Autocon, you see that on a daily basis. And it's extremely humbling at times, but overridingly, it's amazingly rewarding. Welcome back to the Ways of Working podcast, your weekly dose of practical tips for senior leaders who are looking for a performance edge without burning themselves or their teams out. Today, we're talking to Steve Hill. Steve is a commercial director at Autocon UK, a unique multinational IT consultancy and social enterprise with a little bit of a difference that in that it exclusively employs autistic adults as IT consultants. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Jimmy. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm genuinely so excited to have you on the podcast. I know we've had a couple of conversations previously, and I think listeners are going to love some of the ideas that you have to share today. I want to get straight into it. And your career has been an amazing mixture of huge multinational organizations, IBM, Samsung, and most recently McLaren, for those of you who are into Formula One. What prompted the change from Formula One racing and performance to Autocon and employing autistic adults? What drove that change? So I guess that the, there's been a consistent threat and yes, my career has been a little bit off piste at times, but I guess I've always been in and around tech, whether it's been serving the tech industry from my own business perspective, or actually being right in the middle of the tech industry, obviously with some of the, the names that you mentioned, but I guess it's very much about being in the heart of you know cloud security, data analytics, and actually from an Autocom perspective, that thread runs through. So we've grown up as an IT consulting firm. So part of my role is actually to really lift the lid on some of the projects that we get involved in and to understand the technicals. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm techie, but I I know enough to actually be able to understand and then to be able to make sure that we translate those technical requirements in a way that makes sure that we put our best consultants into the right environment. I think that's so interesting. That bridging of people and technology is something that I think keeps coming up in the modern age and especially with obviously all the things that are going on and all the AI and technology developments that we're seeing happen right now. What was it that prompted you to move into Autocom? What was it that attracted you to the business? And what was the compelling reason to to shift? So I could probably answer that with one word, actually, Jimmy, and that being purpose. I think, you know, certainly as you go through your career and you work for different organizations, whether they're big companies, small companies, I think you as an individual, you gain that experience. And some of the things that you're looking for in your career they change. And I think for me, it's purpose. It's making sure that some of the things that I was able to contribute and create value was around other people, the the social aspects, and actually being able to make a positive difference to the lives of others, which may sound a little bit cliche, but actually when you work in a social enterprise environment and you're doing the work that certainly we do at Autocom, you see that on a daily basis. And it's extremely humbling at times, but overridingly, it's amazingly rewarding for the people that you're working with and for in the organization, but also for the clients that we work with as well. It's just fantastic. 
I'm passionate, as you know, about that area of purpose and the idea of supporting people who need it. So let's dig into that a little bit more. Tell us about the types of people that you work with and how you support clients using the teams that you create. So we've been around for 11 years. And I guess the reason I mention that is the company, quite unusually, I think, was founded really out of a parent's anxiety for their child. And what I mean by that is that everyone that we employ from a technologist or consultant perspective is autistic. And so there is a huge chasm between the end of education and the start of the workplace. And that link is really filled with anxiety. And so we were founded on exactly that principle. And so what we try and do is to make sure that we don't necessarily bridge it 100%, but we can make sure we provide a destination for those autistic adults who have a STEM background where we can actually help by taking them on as full-time employees and looking for the right consulting engagement such that we can augment client projects. And I think there is definitely a commercial advantage to that in the first instance, because we tend to specialize in data-related projects, whether it be data analysis, data engineering, visualization, or maybe the more complex data science requirement, but also things like cyber security analysis and, and software design. So those areas where we tend to specialize is where there is a skills gap, not just in the UK, but moreover is globally. And so that's one aspect of what we do. But this is about creating a case study. This is the layer on top, which is much more important or equally as important, because what we're doing is showing the organization that it isn't a big, scary thing to be working with someone with autism. If it was super easy, then we wouldn't be required, clearly. But it's also about making sure that we can take that and use it as a way to show the organization of not only that it isn't a big, scary thing, so we're mitigating fear and risk, but also to try and highlight the fact that there are some unconscious biases that are baked into hiring practices, which maybe stop organizations unknowingly being able to tap into a rich seam of talent. And so it's about showing, not telling from our perspective and helping organizations on the journey. And it is a journey. This isn't necessarily a quick fix. You know, neurodiversity in the last couple of years has gained tremendous momentum, which is fantastic. But I guess in the DNI space, it's always played sort of runner up to the likes of gender and ethnicity. And certainly, you know, we've been at this a long time, comparatively speaking, 11 years and neurodiversity was a very kind of unrecognized concept back in the day in terms of organizations. And so I think for us, it's about that awareness, it's the education, it's the lived experience. But ultimately, our view is that we want to try and make ourselves redundant with that organization as quickly as we can, because what we want to be able to do and societal change and shift only really comes from enabling our clients to do what we do themselves. We don't want to be working with organizations ultimately for five or 10 years, because if we are, you could look at it as a bit of a failing on our part. You know, we want to be able to take them on the journey so they can attract, recruit, retain, and develop their own neurodiverse staff. And there's a long way to go, clearly, in lots of different areas. So hopefully we're not going to be making ourselves redundant anytime soon, but that's ultimately our goal. 
I mean, there's so many things I want to dig into on this topic. And one of the pieces that to me is a critical consideration of senior leaders and organizations at the moment, well, the two considerations, number one, how do I find the performance edge that keeps our organization ahead of the pack, ahead of our competition and performing at a high level? Number two is where do I find great talent who can help me achieve these objectives? Because we know there's things like the great resignation happening. We know that talent wars are happening in the technology space, the STEM space, especially. What in terms of the unique skill sets and the unique approach that autistic consultants bring to an organization, do you believe is the highest value proposition for senior leadership team who are thinking about how do we get that performance edge? What's that unique value proposition the autistic consultants can bring? So I think it falls into two parts, actually, Jimmy. The first part is with neurodiversity comes a different perspective. It's a different way of thinking, which clearly from an organizational point of view, if you're looking to attract the same type of person, in inverted commas, you're going to get the same type of output and the same type of results. So by broadening that approach and having a more diverse team, arguably you, there will be different results. And that's, I guess, the, the overriding benefit. Now, in terms of the individuals, now not everyone with autism has maybe a leaning towards computer science or indeed you know the STEM subjects. But what we're looking for from our consultants when we take them through our recruitment process is not only an aspect of technical competence, which doesn't necessarily have to be underwritten by exams, by the way, it can be self-taught, but it's also looking at the cognitive skills of that individual. And what I mean by that is that the autism or the phrase autism spectrum tends to conjure up a very linear scale in terms of maybe one end, someone being very autistic and not very autistic at the other end. Well, it's not quite like that. And what we talk about is things like the spiky profile. And there's different measures, um, different axes, which we look for. And again, there's no right or wrong answer. This is just to make sure that we get a really good picture of what that person could and should be doing based on the cognitive abilities that they have. So again, things like pattern matching, error detection, logical analysis, periods of sustained concentration. And if you take some of those cognitive abilities and you combine that with the technical or academic abilities and backgrounds that our consultants have, it's a really potent combination. And I think, you know, for us, again, it's about making sure that we're setting up that particular project for success. You know, what we don't want to do and we don't do this at all. We don't interview our candidates, our consultants when they're coming through the process because there is absolutely no correlation between how someone can perform in an interview environment. You know, this is a shop window, a live performing shop window scenario where you can effectively bend, influence, manipulate the truth, arguably, to affect the outcome of that interview. And it's based wholly, really, on social skills and your ability to think on your feet. Well, people with autism sometimes require a slightly longer processing time. So in an environment where they could be presented with one, two, or three, or even a panel of interviewers asking questions that they have no prior knowledge or awareness of, that extra processing time can come across as a pregnant pause. It can create uncomfortableness in that environment. And it's just not really an environment 
is showcasing the ability of that individual. And it's for us, it's much more about what that person could and should be doing. We've got consultants that have got really patchy you know, CVs, either through burnout, mental health, or just a period at which you know, they may have been affected by bullying or the environment that they haven't been able to disclose or the company that they've worked for previously hasn't had the tools to be able to support them because they're not aware of how to support. So I guess from our perspective, it's just trying to shape or reshape the narrative around that, you know, some of those recruitment processes. I think the the concept of what you've talked about there is what every senior leadership team should be striving to achieve for all employees, realistically, you talk about the concept of meeting employees where they're at versus asking them to jump through. So you talk about strengths-based analysis. Now, what are the unique skills and capabilities that this individual is bringing and where can we deploy that set of skills and capabilities most effectively into an organization? There's no reason why we can't do that with non-neurodiverse people. And in fact, if you look at neurodiversity as a, a, a much wider spectrum than perhaps we might consider it, everybody is neurodiverse to a certain extent. They're just way down this end of the scale versus the people that are recognized as being or labeled as being neurodiverse. So why would we not do that with everybody? Why would we not have all employees strengths-based analysis deploy when, where their skills are best met and meet their mental health and performance needs based on great leadership, based on care based on humanity i think some of the things you're talking about that we hope we make ourselves redundant i hope you don't in a way until you've shifted cultures of organizations globally to thinking about not just neurodiversity and the commercial advantage but also the employer engagement advantage and the happiness quotient advantage that's a real opportunity there that i think is worth paying attention to even if you're not considering employing neurodiverse employees that actually affects all employees a hundred percent to me. You're absolutely right. And we bring, you know, some of this awareness, edu education through the lens of neurodiversity. But frankly, these are things that apply to everyone. You're absolutely correct. I mean, when we're sort of setting up for a, a project, we have a, a job coach. They're not technical. They're not project managers. They are all with a background in clinical psychology. And they will actually meet with the immediate team that our consultant will be working with. And they will do some basic awareness training. And this can be, what are the components of neurodiversity? They will bring it back to that individual in terms of the simple adjustments that a person may require, whether it's camera on, camera off in Teams meetings and things like that. But actually, what they're also there to do is to figure out the unwritten rules of the office. So, for example, yeah, a daily stand-up call or a weekly project review call. What is the expectation of our consultant? Is it to be in listen-only mode? Is it to question? Is it to present? You know, What are the dynamics of that team? And for, and I hate using the word neurotypical, but non-autistic adults, it's fairly quick for us to figure out the dynamics in that situation quite often. But that can be a source of great anxiety for those people with autism. And so it's about de-risking it. And again, who wouldn't want to know that going into an organization? Who wouldn't want to know the kind of team structure? Who wouldn't want to know the unwritten rules, the kind of social rules of the kind of office or team environment? This is just good practice, frankly. And this is about helping people become better managers because in many large organizations, it's assumed that everyone wants to be promoted. And maybe that's a big wrong assumption to start with, 
But actually, it's also about people that are promoted within an organization are often given that uh, extra responsibility of people online management. But not everyone gets that training as to how to be a good people manager. And obviously, people have different levels of emotional intelligence and things like empathy and kindness, particularly in maybe very sales-driven organizations, can be seen as a sign of weakness. And I think we are sort of here to say that that's not the case. Yeah, Everyone is an individual and everyone should be treated as such. And to get the best out of people and the best out of teams, it's about having that kind of more broader emotional intelligence-based management style, perhaps. I couldn't agree more. And I know you and I spoke about previously what we do in the Ways of Working program around setting up the team charter, which is exactly that. You know, what are our unwritten rules? How do we deal with conflicts? How do we celebrate success? How do we learn from failure? How do we operate on a daily basis and communicate when there's a tough message or an easy message? And I think surfacing some of those realities in the way the team operates and works is advantageous again to everybody. Wouldn't it be great if we could all have team observation job coaches who onboarded every new person to the business and helped every new person to assimilate into the culture of that team and that organization to ease that transition? Because surely, I'm guessing there's a reason behind these job coaches, but surely it gets them up to speed quicker. Is that what you found? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, the time to productivity is reduced dramatically. And again, who wouldn't want that, both from an individual and an organizational perspective? Yeah, no, completely. The One of the opportunities in onboarding new staff is to get them productive as quickly as possible. And so removing as many barriers as you can through the onboarding journey, whether they're neurodiverse or not, is clearly going to be commercially successful. And the other big advantage I'm guessing you see with the job coaches is your bounce out rate or your attrition rate of consultants not sticking into the business is presumably reduced, right? 100%. And that's one of the things from our client's perspective that we tend to start with. You know, over, over the last 10, 11 years, a lot of clients have sort of said to us, okay, can you help us to attract our own neurodiverse talent? And the short answer is yes quickly followed by no, actually, well, not flippantly, but the point being that it's about the first step for us is that cultural transformation, I guess, because looking inside the organization at the existing universe population has to be really the starting point. It's about creating that culture where individuals feel like they can disclose and very quickly and in parallel, it's about providing the managers, the HR teams, DNI, the senior leaders with the tools to be able to support those individuals. It's only when that stage has been recognized and undertaken can you then start to think about how to attract people into the organization. It's got to start with retention, frankly. It sounds like Autocon is doing stealth, diversity, inclusion, and leadership training just by being in, in clients and showing them the way and, and supporting them to find new ways of operating. And all of that is contributing to that performance edge that leaders are desperately searching around for. Completely, yeah. I mean, we sort of, I guess, position ourselves as a, an 11-year-old proof of concept in a way. This is, you know, we haven't always got it right. We've been growing across different countries, different cultures, and it's about assimilating and bottling some of that know-how, best practice, knowledge across all of the organization and actually distilling that 
into tangible outcomes that organizations can fast track based on the experience that we have. No, that's great. Thank you. And if I'm a senior leader, you know, business unit lead or C-suite sitting around the table, thinking about the opportunity of neurodiversity, what are some of the things that you've noticed that leadership teams are consistently overlooking and what are two or three tips, ideas, suggestions that you could get them to think about that they can take away after this call? So I think it really is typified by fear in a way and maybe not knowing where to start. Again, there are maybe lots of different resources available out in the wild, you know, whether it's training, whether it's uh, coaching, but it's about embarking on a journey and recognizing the fact that depending on the size and the maturity of the organization around its approach to neurodiversity, it could be a lot quicker or maybe a lot longer. The oil tanker trying to change direction is sometimes, you know, it's not a quick thing. But I think it's very important to recognize really, Jimmy, that to get started effectively, it is to get started because those organizations that don't necessarily embrace the diversity uh, to be able to even close talent pool gaps are going to be left behind. And it's more than that in some ways, because those organizations who don't have a clear narrative around the diversity of their organization and the social responsibility of, the, of their organization, they're going to find it hard to attract any talent because more and more people want to work for organizations that have that social purpose. They may not be social enterprises like, like us, but they want to feel a part of a community and an organization that values them, that has value-driven purpose to the outside world. Yes, everyone needs to earn money for sustainability of their own organization and growth, but fundamentally you can do that in a way that is beneficial to the stakeholders, the employees, and the communities that you serve. So that just get started and learn by doing, learn by trying, learn by maybe grazing your knees a couple of times, but just by getting started, actually, organizations rapidly accelerate, not only as you say, that gap in the talent market and, and start to gather previously overlooked talent pools into their organization, but also they're going to refine their approach and get better versus trying to plan the perfect solution before they deploy it. Exactly. And I think if you add a very healthy spoonful of authenticity to that, then there's no wrong answer. Those organizations that may see maybe from a box ticking exercise, that's not really the approach. It's got to be through authenticity and commitment. Thank you for sharing that. And the opportunity I think is huge. I'd love to change track slightly because one of the things I read about you and we've discussed previously is that you are actually also quite a celebrated author and you've got a series of books for children. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I wouldn't necessarily use the word celebrated, but it's very kind of you, Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> Yet to be proven. But actually, it kind of intertwines nicely with kind of my journey towards con. And, you know, this is actually for me part of my personal journey effectively. You know, my youngest son is, is dyslexic. And when he was a lot younger, he really obviously, you know, he struggled with the, I guess, the peer element of finding reading difficult and challenging, but also it created a bit of a blocker to reading. So actually by coming up with a maybe slightly different way of creating stories, albeit, you know, back then it was just about, you know, a fun way to try and approach 
consuming stories by creating them and coming up with ideas and it actually helped get him into audiobooks. So it was one of those things that became a bit of a, I don't want to use the word side hustle necessarily, because it was never designed to create, you know, income or anything like that. I took the view that if I could help my son in that very, very modest way, then actually it might be useful to others. And not only to produce a series of stories, but to actually have a purpose around it. So to help parents view, maybe through the soft learning objectives of the stories, the fact that success isn't predicated on certainly not exam success through school and education alone, but also ultimately that success in life isn't predicated on financial success either. You know, it's much more important to be happy in inverted commas in whatever format that takes. And so it might be slightly ambitious in some ways, but it's proven that we've kind of got to the point now where we've recorded a series of audiobooks that are narrated by Gemma Whelan from Game of Thrones fame, and she's done other stuff with horrible histories in the UK and, and things like that, but to bring the characters to life through storytelling. And we're literally just about to, to take the first book into print, and we've deliberately designed it in a dyslexic-friendly font. But the, during this journey... And my, I guess, my close association with dyslexia, that's where Autocon actually came on my radar because I follow Richard Branson, who is famously dyslexic. And when Richard Branson and the Virgin Group invested in Autocon back in 2016, and a little light bulb went off. And so when the opportunity came up to join Autocon, it was a real no-brainer for me, frankly, to have that kind of personal connection, that purpose but also the pride associated with working for an organisation that actually is dedicated to sort of societal change for the good and to helping you know, individuals on a very practical shirts, sleeves rolled up way on a daily basis. So the books, we're going to keep on putting books out, we're going to keep on growing the series of stories in an effort to not only provide entertainment for kids and, and help them getting to reading and enjoy stories, whether that's through audio books or indeed printed books, but also to continue to provide that kind of messaging to parents. I had a choppy academic backstory and caused my parents great dissatisfaction at various times, but I think I've done okay, not from a financial point of view necessarily, but from a position in kind of enjoy tremendously every single day at work and I feel very privileged and lucky to be in that position and it's about helping others to maybe redefine how they measure their own success and base it on things that aren't material based. It sounds like you've got a really good clear alignment as well between your personal purpose and the purpose of your job and you seem to have integrated those two beautifully not only from the, I guess, the prompts in your personal life, but then that affinity for someone like Richard Branson, who's then invested in an organization who, and that's now where you've ended up working. I think there's a lot of people out there who are potentially searching for that same alignment and integration to make themselves feel happier. And I genuinely see the, the sense of inner pride that you carry, not only with these books, but also with the work you do. And I'm hoping that we can share some links to the books and uh, the website that is making those available in the show notes. For this episode so absolutely we'd love to steer people in there in the direction of that final couple of things steve and this is i guess the how can people work with autocon how can they connect with you and how would that engagement look 
from uh, starting with perhaps the maturity assessment and working through that process. So from a, a consultant perspective, we're always recruiting. I mean, it is very much aligned to our, our kind of social mission to provide those long-term career opportunities for autistic adults. So the best way is to hit our careers page. We're, as I say, we're always recruiting and we have rolling opportunities for you know data analysts, data engineers, cybersecurity analysts. So and we'd love to hear from you. We try to make the processes as easy and engaging and as uh, neuroinclusive as we possibly can. And from a, a client's perspective, we'd love to have a chat. Again, best course is, is through our website or feel free to contact me directly and we'll maybe share my in the show notes. But we'd love to have a conversation. There is never a bad time to start thinking about an organization's pathway to neuroinclusion. And we'd love to help you in whatever modest way and whatever modest form that might take. Brilliant. Thanks for that. And we will we'll pop your email and the careers site and the website for Autocom into the show notes. Final question, Steve. What are you most excited about in home or in work right now? It's a great question, Jimmy. And I've been thinking about the, the kind of answer to this. I think for me, it's, it's the potential. There's so much to be done and there's so much opportunity. There's so much evangelism to do around neurodiversity, whether it's in my own ways through my books and then sort of helping parents and, and kids, but through Watercock, the, the message amplification it goes on and on and on and we are very lucky that you know we've managed to get ourselves into a position now where we are well represented in most parts of the world and we've got the internal structure culture of pride and camaraderie to really create a movement this isn't necessarily just a business this is a movement of trying to help organizations to be aware and to do what's right for the kind of greater good. What a great thing to be excited about, something bigger than ourselves. I always think that's the most exciting thing to be excited about because it's contributing to a greater purpose. And as you and I are very aligned on, the sense of purpose is important. Steve, thank you so much for not only coming on the podcast as a guest, but also for sharing such immense value around the ideas of neurodiversity, the commercial impacts of employing neurodiverse people, the performance edge that businesses can gain and some practical tips on just get started. I really like that. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it on whatever platform you listened on. It does help us to know what you think and to connect us with more incredible leaders who are looking for that performance edge. We genuinely appreciate any comments, feedback, and it helps us to continue to deliver practical insights in new innovative ways. If you've got any questions for Steve or myself, please reach out using the links in the show notes. Other than that, please hit us up on Instagram or LinkedIn, and we'd love to have a conversation. That's a wrap for this episode of the Ways of Working podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast platform so you don't miss our upcoming episodes. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review with your thoughts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Your feedback helps us improve and grow our community of senior leaders seeking a performance edge. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.